0: percent of the time, I have no idea what I'm talking about. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. <sighs> it's it
1: getting well, the people it... going. You're now listening to Dying Nonsense. Look at all this damage. With Justin Pendergrass and Kurt Honak. You are a sad,
0: strange little man. Then we would just be idiots saying
1: nonsense.
2: Ah, uh, so spirit is-
1: I know,
3: I know that Kurt definitely has a spirit animal. I don't know what it is.
0: I don't know. I've been told I look from, um, I, I look like the German Shepherd from All Dogs Go to Heaven, so I <laughs> guess that's supposed to be my spirit Specifically animal. Specifically, that German Shepherd. Or <laughs> yeah, just yeah. a that? Charlie? Yeah, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah.
2: yeah, but with spirit animals, it's more about personality than it is about. Yeah, I was looks, gonna say correct? that guy's not okay.
3: a. That guy's not a. Um, I wouldn't call Charlie a villain, but he's definitely not a good guy.
2: He's an (laughs) anti-hero. Yeah, that's what my that does. Now you're making kind of like the Punisher. I mean, (laughs) Kurt is the Punisher.
0: That's uh, my classmate. My peer told me that's what I look like. I told her she looked like one of the sloths from uh, Ice Age. So
2: that's a classic.
3: (laughs) I mean. Was that because you were upset? Because I no, wouldn't necessarily no, want to tell
0: somebody no, no. that ever. No, no. She really did that's see a little the resemblance. Argu- she thought it
2: was funny. I think I had that told to me as well when What's, I was playing juniors. Was, you, you could you be like the Sid little the dog the that
3: fall, follows Charlie around.
2: Isaac. <laughs> I've never seen old dogs go to heaven. All right. We're going to have to move on from this before so. I get upset. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? I know. I know. How do you I've know never where seen dogs that.
3: go? How do you know how where they, know they go? How do you if know? If you, know you where haven't they seen go. the movie.
2: How do you not? I, I've seen the I movie. assume they go to heaven. I mean, at least in the movie. That's what the <laughs> title would imply. <laughs> well, I mean that's yeah. just assuming. I need you like, to watch it. So is you it can like verify. one of those titles where it deliberately throws you off, and it's actually like a doom arc where the dogs like <laughs> no <laughs> fight? Like I don't
0: know. The one scene that I saw from it because I never watched it was where he brings scraps to all the puppies. So I was like, well, I work at a homeless drop-in center for youth, so that's pretty fair.
3: You didn't bring them scraps. He brought them an entire pizza. Oh, an
0: entire pizza! Yeah, he actually. <laughs> they were like upscale. What's eating. happening in here?
3: <laughs> Am I the only one who has watched you, that? Probably. There's yeah. a singing
2: in there. There's like this weird crocodile lady. <laughs> I don't have kids. And I understand that that movie came out when I was probably a kid. Yeah. But yeah but I, very I did, much not, did but I didn't watch it when I was I a kid think. and I won't have an excuse to watch it until I have kids of my own. So.
0: Oh.
3: well, um, at that point you don't have to because technology has advanced far past the quality of that movie.
2: Well, no, it's, it's, hand drawn it's animation though right it's timeless oh. i mean yeah it's like timeless animation that's like Look. saying you won't watch the original lion king because technology will have advanced we're going to have to put
3: this entire podcast on hold while we go watch that movie real okay quick. <laughs> so that we so can reference it accordingly cuz you guys are just <laughs> flowing all around here I, oh
2: my gosh Michelle have you seen all dogs go to heaven
1: i have not okay oh so my it's just just <laughs>
2: great topic discussion. Oh
3: my gosh. Great Thank job. you guys for tuning in to Diag Nonsense. I'm your host, Justin Pendergrass. I'm here with Kurt Honak. How you doing, Kurt? Doing good. Awesome. We're going to have a guest today and we're going to be talking about a bill. Uh, what is this? Um, But first, we're going to go to housekeeping. No, we're going to skip housekeeping today like we always (laughs) do. So anyway,
2: uh, (laughs) housekeeping-wise, there's (laughs) certain stuff coming up, Uh, stuff and things. Golf tournament in July. I was instructed to let people know that it is national cat adoption month that was roger from nine star oh it's cat adoption Month, and apparently the valley isn't taking any more cats so if you ever wanted like a cat or a dog are you gonna unzip your jacket on my podcast right now are you kidding me what is your phone still off silent too. sample it for a song you sample it for a (laughs) song you're the the artist here you're the creative type why don't you sample it for a song deal all right deal okay bet uh, also podcasts came out and are coming out. It's actually like the 10th episode of everything coming up next week. That's pretty exciting. I think. I yeah. mean, I thought that we this made podcast it. would make it to like four. So we're well exceeding expectations at this point. Kurt carries us yeah. all the way through. <laughs> I mean, probably because he's a big German shepherd from all dogs go to true. heaven. That's true. Just, anyway, you can introduce <laughs> our guest now probably if you want to do your job. Hey, Kurt, why don't you introduce our guest
3: okay and our, then talk about what we're gonna be talking about today real quick okay like, well
0: our gonna guest gonna is Michelle through. Overstreet so we oh. can't th- we can't Yay. say anything too politically divisive <laughs> <laughs> we'll get, we'll get fired no um <laughs> no. <laughs> but um no seriously though uh, Michelle Overstreet so um and we're gonna be talking talking about um HB 172 yeah um and uh, the crisis now kind of approach.
3: Uh, Michelle, so from what I understand, you had a lot of um, input into this bill. Am I wrong?
1: Well, I certainly supported it as part of a group of people that were trying to do um, uh, mobile crisis teams and 23-hour crisis stabilization in lieu of congregate shelter for homeless. And the challenge is that in every city across the nation where they have created congregate shelter um, without the wraparound services and job training and a continuum that has an exit strategy, uh, they end up with overwhelming numbers of homeless that uh, ultimately end up kind of ruining downtown areas, which we saw in Anchorage, but we've also seen in Portland, Seattle, uh, Oakland, California, Chicago, uh, Boston, all these cities that set up congregate shelters end up with disastrous outcomes. So what we tried to do was create a continuum of care for our valley that utilizes, you know, the, the, certainly the My House model, but also uh, this legislation is supporting a 23-hour crisis stabilization and a mobile crisis team. So the mobile crisis team is really genius because what um, happens with the mobile crisis team is instead of the police coming and arresting someone who's having a behavioral health situation or um, in, in the wake of an overdose where someone is narcan um, uh, instead of an uh, an ambulance coming for a behavioral health situation and taking them to a hospital that may or may not have beds for behavioral health, you've got somebody who is a trained professional. Uh, in our model, there's a peer support person alongside that that trained professional. So you've got a behavioral health team that goes out and says, "Okay, we understand that you're having a problem with addiction or with behavior with depression." Uh, maybe the person is suicidal, and you can bring them to a crisis stabilization center using that mobile crisis team so it doesn't take the time from the police, it doesn't take an ambulance, it doesn't take an emergency room visit where in our ER a lot of times people are parked in the hallway waiting for 24 hours and sometimes even days before they get actually seen for a behavioral health situation, they go to a 23 hour crisis stabilization center. They can be evaluated there. Uh, They can be triaged so that they can have a doorway open into a substance use treatment program. Yeah. Um, They can go into a behavioral health program. If they need to be hospitalized, they can go to a hospital, but they do it through that doorway instead of the er where it, that, that's more of a life or death somebody's coming in there with a gunshot wound you yeah. know there's a big difference between those two so what we'd like to do is is have this be part of our continuum and circumvent the need for that big congregate shelter that are so easily uh, runaway trains and really actually meet the needs of our our community members
3: i like that um not only because of the ability to be able to meet people where they're at in their circumstances and meet them in their crisis, but also this allows an opportunity for those people who are disconnected from our community out in the middle of the streets and and in these these unsafe environments to have an opportunity to connect with individuals with lived experience and with the ability to be able to help them through stuff. Right, camps. Camps.
1: You could have a mobile crisis team. That visited a homeless camp and say, this person is unconscious because they've been doing whippets all night. We just had an experience with that, with our organization. They're unconscious. Let's, let's, you know, get them into, we have actually had an ambulance donated for our mobile crisis team. So our behavioral health uh, crisis team will be in an ambulance that's marked for, um, for behavioral health crisis.
3: That's so cool. It's uh, so good. I Thank remember. you. Yeah, shout out. <laughs> I remember seeing that, and it's so cool.
1: Shout out to uh, to Matsu Valley Fire and and Rescue for uh, for that um, Ken and the the team up at the um, at the fire station that that offered that for us. It, it's just such a huge benefit.
3: So I know that um, I know that you had a couple of reservations about this, Kurt, um, and I just wanted to kind of touch on those a little bit. I know that you know overall from what i understand you're you're more in support than not but there was some things that were red flags for you going well, in am i, I think, right um
0: so i just kind of learned about it within the past few months so it's been in the works for i think about 2 years yeah. um and then yeah so i mean i mean i've just kind of like getting up to speed with it and um you know, I know, I know that there's been some amendments that have gone through since the bill started. Um, so, um, and regarding concern about, um, I know one of the things I heard was an amendment so that people are notified, like if their child is placed in involuntary care. Um, I think, and and I'm still learning about it. And, and when I talked to, um, I talked to a couple of people from the mental health trust when I went down to Sitka for the mental health Board, yeah. um, for the state of Alaska, and talking to them, um, you know, they're really the 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 objective is to um, reduce involuntary hospitalizations, right? So to um, reduce the kind of heavy-handed approach that um, communities and the government kind of has, because. Um, you know, they don't really have an intermediate level of intervention from my understanding of, of what this is. Um, I guess my reservations are just like, you know, um, it's, it's, I just, I just feel like there's a lot of potential still for, um, if, if, if it's not executed correctly um, for things to go wrong. Um, I just think that, that looking at the history of, you know, psychiatry in this country, has just been very, um, I I view it as as very abusive um, to our population. And I just think that um, it's just got to be executed correctly. And the more I learn about it, the more I see that, you know, um, set free, or not, I'm sorry, not set free, um, True North and some of the people that I've met that have talked about it, talk about you know, having a recovery mentality about it, so that it's it's more geared toward like peer support and not ne- necessarily like the old institutional powers that be, um, which I like. I think that I, I think that you have to. I, I think that part of one of the one of the greatest um, tragedies about the way psychiatry is executed in our country is we have people dispensing drugs that have never personally been on those drug substances, so they don't really know what they do. Um, and, um, I think that's, I, you know, I think that it's easy for somebody to separate people out into a top-down management system where it's like, okay, so you're dispensing drugs and you don't know how those feel personally, but you're supposed to manage the situation with this person, but you have no lived experience on what they're actually going through. So I think that that's, I think that that has to be mindful i think the peer support approach that or the recovery based language that they use um, indicates that they are not coming at it from this top down sort of um, the dsm is the um, what would you say like the written word is the law of the land kind of mentality where You know, they're going, um, you know, this is set in stone as a chemical imbalance, even though there's no objective scientific proof for any of that stuff. And we have to administer um, antipsychotic or psychotropic drugs. However, the bill is worded that that could be part of the process. Um, Where it gets tricky, I think, is where... This is why I'm not for abolishment of psychiatric drugs, right? Because where it gets tricky is if somebody's going through a post-acute withdrawal from a psychiatric drug, um, like Peter Bregan talks about, reinstating that drug at the level they were on before the withdrawal will stabilize them. Um, but the challenge you have is that that you know that is not necessarily a you know that drug doesn't necessarily solve that, you know, psychosis in general, right? Like we've been using these drugs for things that they're not actually designed to do. And, um, so my concern is that, okay, so we're doing involuntary treatment with drugs that are, you know, are they, are they being used for what, for what they actually do? And is, um, you know, the other thing would be like, you know, it, it is that person, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I, well, I think that's the greatest, that's the greatest challenge of it, right? Is that are, are the drugs being, being, you know, used in the context that's appropriate. And I, I just don't, I don't see that in the history of psychiatry. And I, I, that's, that's why it's scary to me, right? Is that there's, there's scary parts of it because, you know, historically, if you look at psychiatry, it's like, it's really, you know, rooted in, we, we want to manage people's crisis, and you know, the roots of that are even theocratically based, they're not based in objective scientific crisis resolution to me. You know, I sure. mean, so
1: I, I think Kurt, one of the biggest benefits to what we're, we're, we're looking at here is having the recovery piece in place with the peer support because I. I'm, I'm, I'm just a firm believer that if what we're talking about doing is helping people get clean and sober, and we know from our, our data here that about 86% of uh, people that are, are struggling, uh, particularly to keep housing, are struggling with the substance use disorder. So if we've got a recovery program that's partnering on this project or, or leading the project, I feel like that is, that's a, a step in the right direction. I don't disagree with you, by the way. I think this legislation has the potential to be derailed I think there are, if, if you're somebody who's a, a believer in those, you know, the the black ops, you know, political dissidents are, <laughs> are going to be taken from the streets and put in these uh, involuntary well, programs. Well, you know, we love talking
2: about that on this podcast. Well, well yeah. can right. I just
1: <laughs> tell you
0: that that's where the DSM is rooted? I mean, it's rooted in the Inquisition, and that's it's a spiritual successor to the Inquisition's document on, on witch hunting. I mean, that's, so I mean, well, if you want to get technical about it, Let's go crazy, right? I'm no not one disagreeing. A <laughs> <Inquisition>. <laughs> so,
1: so just understand, I, I, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, but I do see the value of this for our community. And the alternative to this is that congregate shelter, and the and you kind of gather everybody up and just let them uh, do whatever it is that they want to do. It's a
3: holding place. It's not a. It's not a healing place.
1: And there's no exit. Right. The exit is the exit has to include those behavioral health treatments and sobriety or there really isn't any exit. That person is still in bondage.
3: So so I think that what I like the most about this is it takes more of a humanistic approach than I think anything that really we've been doing for mental health for a long time. It takes the humanistic abilities that we've all have to just be true and authentic And puts it right at the forefront of what we're doing. So you show up as a person and you help this person in crisis. You don't have to be anything different. Right. Right. Because, Kurt, your experiences that you're sharing with us now, that's valuable. You showing up on a call where this person's been, you know, detoxing off of whatever psych meds they've been on, you know what that looks like. You're able to be like, yeah, this is what's going on. Let me sit with this person and talk them through it. I show up to a suicide call where somebody's really struggling with their life. I'm able to sit with them in that moment. I'm able to feel through it with them, you know. And it, I think that this allows humans to be humans in really the most human moment that there is: crisis and and heaviness and the and the hardships that they're facing in those moments. And I do love that it that it's really it's taken an approach that nowhere else really is. Right. I mean, there's a couple of places piloting it and like trying to figure out what it looks like. But we're trying to avoid saying, oh, you're homeless. Come here. Yeah. (laughs) Live in our backyard and do what you've been doing in every other place. No, we're not saying don't come here. We're saying if you come here, this is how we're going to help you.
1: Well, and and we're not enabling. That means that we're not enabling anymore. Uh, This this really, in many ways, connects back to your last podcast that was about the revision, because it's about connecting. It's about not leaving people alone, not just dumping them in a congregate shelter and saying, have a nice day we know from our work here Had a
3: boy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That, I mean, we've had young people come here from congregate shelter who experienced trauma at the shelter. So
3: saying, I'm, I'm afraid I can't be here. I'm scared. Yes. So I've been harmed here
1: in the scope of that. And, and with sensitivity to what Kurt's talking about, because I really, uh, I really feel strongly that if somebody's coming into a, a crisis stabilization situation, and let's say they're detoxing from alcohol, Right. That can be deadly. So we have to yeah. have we have to have a, the, the next step on this is going to be a detox program. One hundred percent. It needs to be in place as soon as we can get it up and running. The challenge with that is that there are so many different um, uh, factions and organizations and politics and funding uh dynamics around a detox center. Um, No one wants it in their backyard. Uh, You know, certain people want to run it, but they want to run it subsidized by another organization. Certain organizations don't want it run by a certain other organization. We get into the the, the politics of it. But the bottom line is that in order to really make this work and to avoid what Kurt's talking about and some of those dynamics where people are, are involuntary committed for 72 hours, um, we need a detox center for them to transition into from the 23 hour stabilization. And we will have that. We will get that. I want to
2: talk about something that Kurt, uh, had brought up a couple minutes ago where we were talking about the theocratic roots of a lot of, uh, psychology, you know, psychology based mental health care stuff. And I think Kurt, where, um, I think it's easy for people to agree. I, I know that there's, and certainly in the human services industry, and I'll use the word industry again because even though it's, you know, nonprofits, it is somewhat of an industry. There is a lot of religious-based organizations, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. But the we talk a lot about humanistic connection, and the reason why I think that's so important is, and you'll hear it from people that are through recovery, is uh, you actually heard it on my voice with one of our current client navigators who said, you know, and they're now a born-again believer, but they what they said was when they were first trying to get clean, they weren't ready for the Jesus stuff. Yes, They weren't ready for the religious stuff. And I think that for people that are actively in crisis you know for some people that works and that's exactly what they need but for a lot of other people they don't need um they don't need something religious at that moment to break that cycle they need a humanistic connection and if you are someone who is religious i think the the way you should be looking at this when we talk about kind of these more secular services and connections is that if you want someone even if you want someone to to Go into a religious service later, or you you know you're you're a Christian, for example, and you believe that they should, um, you know, you want you want them to be saved and be a believer. Sometimes to get to that point, to stay alive, to get to that point, they need they just need another person to talk to them on a person. I think whether or not you're religious or you're agnostic, um, there's the need for just what you said, Justin, allow humans to be humans is so important to get them to that next step and to get someone out of active crisis.
3: Well, and I want to say something about that, what you're saying right now, if that's okay. I know the question was directed to Kurt, but um, I've been working at my house for almost four years and I was working with this young woman who, you know, adamantly against Christ. I never mentioned to her, but I knew her heart because she would, she would voice it. And I'll tell you that, you know, role modeling that behavior, having those conversations when they're asked, wait until they're asked. Mm-hmm. You don't have to push it down their throat. They're going to ask when they say, what are you doing? That's when your opportunity is to share that stuff. In a crisis, I never mention Christ, ever. I'm a believer. I am I love God very much, and I will say that to anybody who asks. But I do not mention him when I'm in a crisis because that's not— going to help every single person in a crisis. It's actually going to put up a wall. They're going to instantly stop engaging, and they're going to turn the other way and possibly do what I'm there to stop them from. Right? I can role model God. I can role model the behaviors that I believe in and the, the spirituality that I have without even saying his name. And if you're a believer and you know that, it says that in the Bible. It talks about these things. It teaches us those things, Right? You don't have to shove Christ down someone's throat to tell them that, you know, they're loved. When I have a client who's struggling, I tell them that I love them because I truly and genuinely do. And I want them to know, you know, it doesn't have to be anything more than that. I get to be a person in that moment. I don't have to be Justin, the Christian rapper. I don't have to be Justin, the suicide prevention. I don't have to be Justin, the case manager. I get to be Justin Pendergrass, the human being. And that's what I think that is uh, super exciting about this crisis now model is that we get a chance to go out and be humans really for, I mean, some of us for the first time in our lives, you know, and I think that's beautiful. I do see the the potential of this being harmful. I do see the potential of a lot of things being harmful, though, just like religion. (laughs) We can beat that dead. Religion is very harmful, you know. Part of why Alaska was colonized, you know. Um, so, uh, part of you know the psychiatric problems in our states and, and in our world are, you know, there's a lot. There's Christians at the helm, you know. Um, there's tons of hurt in that, and mm-hmm. it's it's our responsibility as as believers to stop hurting people and start meeting them in their circumstances as human beings, which is what we've been called to do in the first place not pass judgment, not be in those moments with people and be like, well,
0: your circumstance is not as bad as mine ever was, you know? No. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not ragging on the... Not at all. I would I'm not never. trying to rag on, on, on a th- theocratic approaches or, or religious beliefs, um, because obviously, as we've seen with the scientific community, is that the objective scientific evidence, if it's being you know conducted by firms that are paid off by the companies that conduct them, you know, that are paying them to conduct that research, then, you know, that's obviously, um, just as muddied as, uh, right. any other, <laughs> you know, ideology or belief about the right way to do things. So yeah,
2: hundred
3: percent. But and I know this took a really weird turn, but, <laughs> but I like
0: it.
2: it well, it, I just think it's an interesting conver- conversation about, um, theocracy in, um, in crisis situations, but also in, you know, pharmaceutical and psychology stuff. Um, Especially because Michelle and I was talking to you about a, a different subject as it relates to this the other day, but when you got your degrees, you I mean it correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was the eighties, right? When you when you had graduated college and so now
1: nineteen ninety.
2: Nineteen ninety. So you were in school in in the late eighties, mm. correct? Right, yeah. Okay. Right. So DSM
1: three DSM three R is what I was trained and,
2: on, and and so that means that you've seen kind of several revisions now to those uh, DSM. Which manuals. one are we on now? Five? Five five I five um, revised text RT.
0: It was not. Um, it wasn't even publicized. So, wow. I mean, unless they changed that just recently, but uh, it's pretty uh, interesting.
2: Yeah, and and so that means that that you kind of have a unique perspective and like how stuff has changed and and where some of this stuff is based. Like some of these, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that it works is these like revisions that are in the DSM five right now. That makes the baseline for eventually DSM six. And so you've seen the process of these revisions and now um, how things have moved along. How many? retractions
3: have happened. Like they've changed it and they were like, actually, we're wrong. Do they do that at all?
1: Well, not specifically. It's very, very rare that anyone admits that they were wrong in in that venue. But there have been. (laughs) (laughs) Kurt. (laughs) Kurt. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Uh. But there (laughs) there was a situation in the 90s where uh, alcoholism was considered a disability. And so if you were diagnosed with alcoholism, you could take that to Social Security and collect Social Security disability for being an alcoholic. And wow. there, there was a whole movement around, you know, when we start talking about enabling and recovery and trying to create a recovery movement in a community. Um, Where you're paid that- to be a drunk. Right. That was one of the things that, that was, they did, they did back that out, but it was a Social Security Administration uh, re- reversal. It was not necessarily a DSM reversal. Um, the DSM was just being used. And, and, and so that's also where some of that, um, the, instead of being considered a, a, a condition that you were diagnosed with and, and then you never left that behind, uh, it became, you could, then you could go into remission, right? That, that you're in recovery. And so that's kind of where that transition took place as well where we started talking about, yes, I was diagnosed with a substance use disorder, but I've been in recovery for however many years, five years, eight years, 10 years. Uh, Michael Carson talks about, I think he celebrated 36 years in recovery this year. It's something close to that, it's, yeah. It's just an incredible amount of time working that program and staying clean. So that would be an example of of. Uh, the di- the role of the dm's dsm and 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 some of those um dynamics uh, what's really interesting about that That diagnostic statistic manual, that's what DSM stands for. The diagnostic statistic manual um, is that there are specific criteria for diagnosing any of those behavioral health concerns, including addiction. So you can go in and and open up that book and look at what the diagnostic criteria are for uh, alcohol dependence or for borderline personality disorder or whatever it is, schizophrenia. Yeah. And 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 you know, you can measure you could measure yourself technically uh Salt on diagnose. that. Uh, right, yeah, right. I need marijuana to fix this kind uh, of thing. Yes, right. Yeah. This <laughs> no. is my treat my chosen treatment, right? Yeah. And so uh, most of the time, and this sort of uh, lends itself to what Kurt's talking about, um Oftentimes, there will be accepted modes of treatment for that. For example, if you're uh, diagnosed with major depression, then, then you have um, a, a, a parallel path where people say, okay, so antidepressants would be an option for treating that. Um, uh, bipolar disorder, there are some medication options for treating that. What we missed is that human connection. And, and the peer support, for each one of those, there should be uh, a, a, a people who have survived this and how they survived, and their experience should be valued on that same platform uh, as the pharmaceutical companies. The challenge is that they don't have the money for advertising and lobbying and, and all the things right. that
0: so that's the x factor in all this is is biological determinism or social darwinism and and that's i guess that's why the fear i have the fear right about bills like hb 172 because when when things are good and they're supposed to work as appropriately and there's appropriate supervision and um interest then yeah they work as intended but just like with everything it's like you get the wrong people in there or you get the wrong oversight and all of a sudden um you know we are interning people into involuntary medicalization because the federal government decided that um you know um actually you know like let's say we're in war in 10 years and we have to intern people so um that's that's really where i see this going even though i understand i understand why it would be helpful and useful and, and that may be unpreventable anyway, because we've got things like uh, Title 47, right. where we, we do that anyway. So, um, you know, and it's for m- the mentally ill. But the problem is, is that we can't, you know, b- just as you've seen in your lifetime, we've had so many revisions to the DSM that it sounds like we're having a hard time defining what mental illness is. And I wonder why. I wonder why. Well, here's a real. I mean, I know why, but it's <laughs> right, rhetorical. Right, right.
1: Here, an interesting sidebar to that, Kurt, is really that um, I think. It, I think as a community, we have to hold space for what we want and and yeah. be willing to step in the gap and represent for what we want. Uh, just within the last six months, I was referred to as transphobic in a meeting. Um, somebody in the meeting called me transphobic, and my question back was, "Do you know the diagnostic criteria?" For transphobia, right. because there is a set of select uh, criteria that would diagnose that. I do not meet those criteria. I don't believe the person who accused me of that knew what the criteria were. But it's become a catch term, right. or a, a term used to manipulate people in conversations because nobody wants to be labeled with right. that. Well, right? it's
0: like it's like Thomas Saws said. You know, the the Protestant and Catholic battles, you know, were, we're, to try and expunge the Antichrist from each other. And in the modern age, that looks like communism and capitalism, you know, fighting it out by calling each other. If you don't agree with me, then you're mentally ill. And right. that's where, that's, that's my fear is that we use the mental health care systems being used as a political weapon. And, and, Oof. you know, and, and it's, it's not actually serving, it's not actually to make people better, but it's to control social dissent.
1: So, so, but my response to that person in that meeting was, I don't think that you understand what the criteria are or can diagnose me with the, with the credentials to diagnose me with that. And I'm not accepting that. It's not a, appropriate in this venue. And, and we have to be better than that as a community. We have to move away from labeling people that disagree with us with, and, and, and saying, you've got this grievous condition, because you're not agreeing with me or doing what I say that I, I think you should do. Right. and And that's where, as a community, we hold space for what we want this to be. And if we can work together and hold space for that and have a cohesive platform, I think this is a really nice alternative to and a caring alternative to some of the the, the, you know, the mass shelters and the, the, the places where people are just parked in a corner, even if it's the ER, because there's no time to provide services for them. God, God help our ER doctors and nurses. So um, my hope, Amen. Kurt, is that we don't we don't create that and that if we do start going in that direction, we've got people that stand in that gap and like you and I and right. say, wait, this is not how we do it. This is not what this is meant for.
3: Well, and now you have that ability to be able to say that to some people who will be listening with you being on the mental health board too. Mm-hmm. You're in front of some people who you'll be like, hey, I don't like that that's what we're pushing for. You know, right, right? I like that you have that ability now, Kurt, because it allows your voice to be heard. And I heard a couple of people talking about your, their experience when you spoke. Yeah. And every one of them told me how powerful it was.
1: Yeah. It's very much appreciated and it's very well-respected and I think there's, I, I think there's room. I think there's room for all of us at this table, but but really, the and and you alluded to this earlier. The most important voices are going to be the voices of those who have already walked through fire. You know, you you this is this is where the people who have 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 crossed the burning bridge go back with buckets of water for the people that are on their way, right? Right. And right. and shield. Uh, well,
0: yeah, I mean. As long as it's being used uh, used as as intended, right? But I mean, I mean, you could say that about any tool or any system, right? And so, I guess it will just take careful consideration and monitoring, you know, to to see it. But I I, I mean, like I said uh, earlier too, though I I do there I do see a lot of good potential on it. But like yeah, like any tool, it has you know the the, the oh, yeah. potential for. Look at you history. Know, right. yeah. yeah, I mean. Yeah. The Bible's I mean,
3: been used for evil a hundred right, times. And mean, it's supposed to be the well, greatest book of all time. Right, I'm could, sure
0: all kinds of religious yeah. documents have, you know, and so. Yeah, so. I yeah, mean,
2: looking I'm, at it from an outside perspective too, what it seems like it kind of comes down to is who are the people making decisions? Because it, it it's pretty easy to make the case that I mean, you can't say that, well, we should never be able to involuntarily intern people. I mean, there are individuals whose mental state or, um, I mean, you know, even like serial killers, you, it's, it's pretty easy to say like, man, if someone is willing to go out there and kill, you know, 70 people, obviously everything isn't perfectly all right, like upstairs or if someone is uh, an absolute danger to themselves or even in some cases with dementia patients like it, you can make arguments for why certain people should be involuntarily interned but well, then it, kurt where i see what you're saying is is how many times have we seen people taking advantage of elderly folks using dementia uh, or other, you know, illnesses like that well, as a crutch to yeah. just. I mean,
0: take especially, money. especially when we're seeing studies come out that these psych drugs are tied to dementia right. in the long term outcomes. Yeah, in the elderly, accelerate or, you know, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a real thing. There's a real amount of social cannibalism that happens. Right. So. so
2: to me, it comes down to who you need to have people in place that are a qualified to make those decisions and be have, have a passion for, maybe that means they have lived experience. Maybe that means that's just what their passion is, um, is helping individuals that are, that, that can make those decisions for a, the people that would be sent to or involuntarily held to get cleaner, sober or to stabilize. But then also for the community as a whole to know, like, you know, which individuals, and it's going to be the majority of individuals that can return to the community and be given a chance to be a functioning member of society. You need people in place that are making those decisions for the good of the community as a whole and for the good of individuals. But then the problem is, and where I see why you have a concern, is we don't have, uh, unfortunately, we don't, we don't have access to 20 just, uh, you know, what's, what's the D&D chart where it's like truly like good lawful good oh, or lawful whatever good. Yeah, there's yeah. there's not like 20 people that perfectly <laughs> that just slot good. into their lawful good and yeah. they're they're always going to make the perfect decisions. So as community members, we need to be um electing individuals and um and, moni- and and if it's not a position where it's an electable position, we need to be doing whatever we can to influence the decision makers or the people that are electing individuals um, so that we have people on these boards that can make those decisions that are going to, to the best of our abilities, represent what's best for the community and what's best for these individuals because we live in an well, imperfect world. And
0: if you, if you don't have that, you're going to have a manufactured problem where we, the, the cure is worse than the disease because you get 10 people sicker today and then it's 20 tomorrow and then 30 and then 40, Right, you know,
1: And so so on and so forth. Part of what I love about this, part of what I love about this is the peer support model going hand in hand with that behavioral health specialist. And the peer support piece is so critical because those people have actually been on the ground. Kurt, your lived experience in those circumstances with people that are being diagnosed and having medications recommended to them could be critical and invaluable to them. And, and right. I, I, I'm going to a describe a situation where, you know, somebody who has been in long-term psychiatric treatment and been through and exposed to uh, uh, dozens and dozens of drugs, then all of a sudden they decide that they want to try without the drugs and detox from everything that they've been on for years – and then they're then they're diagnosed by that same practitioner with a personality disorder because they're right. perceived as non compliant. Right. Which is really which is really bizarre, but it but it falls in line with the model that you're describing. Right. And well, it,
0: I mean and it his and anisnosia like I believe anisnosia um medically, you know in medical terminology you can be diagnosed as not recognizing you're mentally ill because you're so mentally ill so that that happens to people and and then they you know that's that's bad
1: well, and it's also it, 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 it's also sort of a symptom of, of conditions like borderline personality disorder where you're it, it's considered untreatable because the person who has it will never admit that they have it. It's always about blaming and shifting. Oh, and yeah,
3: they say I have this thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, that it's, it's not for real. But the peer support piece of that, walking alongside in that human-to-human contact, one, creates a platform for having difficult conversations around what you're experiencing and and what may really be going on, it gives an opportunity for the person who's detoxing or 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 trying meds for the first time to be able to talk to somebody who's experienced that and and can say, yeah, I did. You know, I know how you feel. I felt that same way. Here's what I found. You got to stick it out a little while, or you know, maybe this, or making some suggestions that are practical on the ground. Suggestions, and it also uh, I think gives a little bit more time for processing what's happening in terms of those behavioral health treatments uh, as opposed to some of the people who uh, maybe have 15 minutes at a time to meet with somebody about their medication management. And we know from we've had clients before where they go in for a med management appointment and we've been watching them struggle and they come out twenty minutes later with another prescription on top of the three that they already have, and that's the solution. And so, when we have peer support that spend an hour and a half processing that and make another appointment to go back in and reevaluate, that's more valuable than the fifteen minutes, right? Yeah. That that right. the client had. So, so having that balance of lived experience and lived. Um, uh, 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 support for the person combined with that professional knowledge of the dsm and 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 what those diagnostics look like how they present in real life and and what are the the strategies for working through those to get to the other side when we talk about we don't just want it to be a cycle and and kurt that speaks back to what your your concerns about the industry the pharmaceutical company the counseling Uh, industry because sometimes the purpose of the appointment is to schedule the next appointment. It's to, it's to get the people on the drugs that are the most profitable that are the most reimbursable um, rather than getting them clean and sober. And so uh, the peer support for me really has the opportunity to walk people through the exit strategy on that.
0: Yeah. Well, I like this conversation because I feel, a little better about it um i think that um i think that if we're going to be doling out these medications that certainly peer support approaches need to be uh, included and this is probably a lot better than any other alternative then because um yeah i mean if, if the core fundamental issue is not addressed then this is the next best thing and i think it's a cultural shift that has to happen um i don't think it's an overnight process because we're th- we're talking about psychology theocracy we're talking about you know political stuff and Industry. I know I know it's not going to be an overnight process and so maybe this is you know um not just a band-aid but but a step y- one a. you know step one a movement. yeah to 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 <laughs> Go the other direction, then. So I, I feel better about it in that context. Yeah, for sure. Then.
1: Yeah, I but I share your concerns because the way that the law is written, there's no question about the fact that it could be misused, and right. and we'll we'll have to stay vigilant. And and really, what we want, what we're trying to create here, is a movement, right? Right, right. We're, well, to reduce, shift.
0: yeah, to reduce involuntary treatment. Not to. It's not to increase, and it's not to you know misuse it.
3: So. Right.
1: A, a paradigm shift, right?
0: Well and I think that the cool
3: thing about this is it's going to stop the future ones. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. It, it right. not only does this help the current this allows for the future right. crisis that's going to take place throughout, the, you know, generations as we're we're making changes and things. This is going to allow for that healing to take place earlier th- rather than later, you know, right. 40 so. years into your homelessness experience. This allows for us to meet you I mean maybe at 18. Right. You know, and start that healing process, start that right. treatment goal, start it's, that process yeah. to move forward so you don't waste 30 years of your life on this thing where you don't feel like you have another solution. Mm-hmm. And right. um, I really I enjoy the crisis now model. I think it's an amazing model. I'm really excited to see it roll out. I think that this bill is just, um, you know, the really just like I said, step one, a yeah. <laughs> in a long process of things, you know, we're going to get down to Z. Step 26, you know, there's, there's, it's going to be a never ending, um, change and shift as we are trying to find the appropriate way to deal with mental health and, right. and heal people through their hurts. So,
1: and can I shout out to peer support? I mean, yeah. I, really the magic in this is the people with lived experience and the people with, with peer support. So if you're somebody in recovery that would like to be involved in helping others and you've got at least a year clean, get that peer support certificate uh, message Justin or Kurt, either one of them can can help you figure out how to do that. Justin at org or kurt at K-U-R-T at myhousemattsu.org. We, we can share with you the link for the state certification program and and become part of the solution. Be yeah. part of the solution.
3: We're going to wrap this up. Thank you guys for tuning in to Diagnonsense. I'm your host, Justin Pendergrass, here with my co-host, Kurt Honak. Kurt, do you have anything else final thoughts?
0: Um, I just think that um I think that there's a there's still a lot of potential for healing and a lot of potential for good out of this and uh I think that um I think that with peer supports and people with lived experience, they have a vested interest because they are the people that are going through this. So, yeah. um, you know, as long as we keep people who are affected um have a voice at at the table, I think it will go good.
3: Yeah. Awesome. Find somebody to connect with this week. And we'll see you guys next time.